Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. I remember a time in my life when I was just feeling so exhausted. I was burnt out. I remember feeling like I just couldn't get a grip. You know, I just felt like everything was falling out of out of line and I was just so exhausted. And I remember talking to my spiritual director and mentor, Bill Doctrum, and, and I was like, man, if only I was better at time management, right? Then I'd be able to figure it out. And uh, he said this and he was like, you can't manage time. You can only manage yourself in time. And he was talking about how time is the only thing that is constant, right? It continues forward. There's no way you can stop time. Uh, it keeps going, but you can manage yourself in time. And, and I know he was getting what I was saying, but I think it was really profound what he was hinting at. I think so often we try to control, we try to uh, kind of suck dry all of the time that we can and, and, and almost milk it full of, um, of its possibility and potential. And, and what, when we do that, the result is us being exhausted. It's us running at this frenetic pace where if only we could manage ourselves better, we can manage time better, we feel like then we'll be okay. And, and the reality is, is we just, we find ourselves at the end of our rope saying, is this it? I'm exhausted. I can't keep going. I'm tired. And I found myself at that place. And I, and I think that the question then that comes up is how are we going to manage ourselves in time? We can't manage time. We can't stop it. How do we stop in time? And how do we begin to rest? And so as we're in this future church series, what we're talking about today is being a community of rest and a culture of exhaustion. How do we be a countercultural community that in the, the, the pace of the culture around us as everybody's running around ragged and exhausted, how do we be a culture and a community that, that's like, we're, we're good because we're resting, we're leaning into the rhythms of Jesus. And it's not to say that fatigue and exhaustion won't happen, but how do we begin to build rhythms into our life so that we become people that, that when we're rested, the world around us says, why are you not exhausted? How do we be that kind of community? So as we talk about that, we're going to go into Hebrews 4, but I want to just lead in with a couple of passages of scripture. So Genesis 2 says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Exodus 20, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Mark 2, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. Luke 23, then he took Jesus' body down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. And then finally, Hebrews 4, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God rested from his. And um, scripture is just full of this idea of Sabbath and rest. And uh, it, it makes me think of one of my favorite movies. It's one of those kind of guilty pleasures, but the movie Click with Adam Sandler. Um, I don't know if that was Adam at his best or his worst, but it's one of those movies you go to and if you like kind of need a good cry, you need to be reminded of, of the realities of life um, and just feel bad for Adam for a little bit, that's where you go. So I remember I was watching Click and I had this, this realization that this is a parable of our lives. 
you know, he, he's living his life and he goes to Bed Bath & Beyond and he builds this entire movie premise off of the Beyond section. I think it's genius. And he goes to the Beyond section and he finds this universal remote. And rather than only working on his TV, it works on all of life. And so when his wife is arguing with him, he mutes her. And, um, and then when his dog is going to the bathroom, you know, he just fast tracks through that and he fast forwards. And then when his kids need to, um, you know, be dealt with, he, he fast forwards through that. When chores need to happen, he fast forwards through that. And really comes down to he was a workaholic and he just wanted to get more done in his life. He, he wanted to finish all of that so then he could rest, right? He was living for some idea of rest. And so he's fast forwarding through things in his life. And if you know the movie, what ends up happening is this universal remote has memory. And what it ends up doing is, is it, rem it remembers what he did all the time, fast forwarding through arguments, fast forwarding through chores, fast forwarding through work. And, and it has memory because it builds in rhythms, right? It's this parable of his life. He has rhythms in his life. And so it just repeats. And it finds himself at this place in his life where he's just been on repeat. He's built these rhythms and all of a sudden he's just burnt out. He's exhausted. He missed out on his kid's childhood. He missed out on, on all the arguments. He missed out on his relationship. And at the end, he, he's got a broken marriage. He's not married anymore. His dog has passed away. Um, his son is also a workaholic and he finds himself in this really sad scene where he's, he's obese and he's running and he's having a heart attack and he's just trying to fix the carnage of what he had done through his exhausted way of living. And again, I think that's a parable of how we live today. See, exhaustion and burnout will find every one of us. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter how much you sleep, right? Exhaustion and burnout will find you no matter what. And I have a hunch that, that COVID um, just highlighted that, right? It didn't cause it, it highlighted it. It's something that we already lived with. In 2019, the World Health Organization defined burnout as a syndrome associated with chronic stress at work that goes unmanaged, right? This was months before COVID hit. And so then what happened is COVID hit and the lines got blurred between work and home. And all of a sudden our chronic stress with work has no boundaries. It's all over the place. And so we find ourselves in places of burnout, every one of us. And even more so right now, as I'm speaking to you, this is probably a reality you're living in. And if not, you have lived in, or if not, you will live in. Psychologist Christina Masala, a professor at UC Berkeley, she was studying burnout since the 70s. And she said, there's three components to burnout. You might find yourself in these. And so I want you to hear these and maybe find yourself in them and have grace on yourself. But she says, the first one is exhaustion. This is physical and emotional exhaustion. And this is when you've been under stress for a long time, right? Following the pandemic and racial tensions, following mass shootings and riots, homeschooling, um, you have to parent, you have uh, relationships around you. And, and it's just this constant sense of exhaustion that's weighed on you mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We could not be more aware of our exhaustion now than we ever have. And then it moves into cynicism. And cynicism, it says that you switch from doing the very best all the time to doing just the bare minimum, right? And anything above the bare minimum, you're just mad about it. I found myself so angry at things. I'm like, this was so easy before. And the bare minimum, I mean, how many of us just dress the upper half of our body for Zoom meetings, right? If we can't get any bare minimum than that, I don't know what it is. We just want to do enough to keep our jobs. We just want to do enough to keep our relationships. We just want to do enough to, to put food on the table for our kids. And we find ourselves in this place of exhaustion and then cynicism, which then leads to blame. We find ourselves blaming everything else. And again, I found myself there. 
realizing I was in this place of burnout where, where I'm like, well, if only they would just believe this or, or if only they would just wear this or do this or, or think this way. And, and, and on the left or the right or wherever you found yourself, I mean, there was blame. We all felt it. But not only just blame of other people, we blamed ourselves. And, and, and again, I felt this where I was like, why am I not good at this? I should be better at this. Why am I not a good Christian, right? Why am I not good at faith? Why am I not good at being a husband right now, right? And I'm start blaming myself. This is where prayers get tough. I mean, I found myself as a pastor in this last season being like, I should be better at this. Why, why is prayer so tough? Why in these moments that used to be so sweet in my lectios in the morning, does it feel so dry? And I found myself in a place of blame and, and you kind of move from this exhaustion to cynicism to blame. And I think we found ourselves there. Burnout is when your soul can no longer bear the weight of your life. Right? Your soul, the, the inner part of who you are, uh, the most connected kind of sacred part of who you are, cannot bear the weight of all of your responsibilities, of your life, of your job, of your family, all of the stuff. Every piece of it feels like the straw that broke the camel's back. I think for many of us, this is a reality well before 2020. Um, all of us felt it within 2020, but if it goes unchecked, all of us will feel it two to three times over post 2020. Burnout is a reality. I mean, I'm a millennial and um, millennial is considered the burnout generation. Uh, Helen Peterson wrote that burnout isn't just a place where millennials go to and then come back from. It's a place we permanently live. Right? That's just a horrible description of, of my generation, but I have a feeling it's just not me. It's, it's, it's us. We all experience burnout and exhaustion. And one of the reasons why we do that is because of our theology of progress. And I say theology very intentionally because we have this idea that if we're going to walk it out with God, it's always this upward and to the right kind of mobility. Our faith journey needs to be, I can pray longer, I can pray more, I can um, I can talk about God more and with more depth. I can read the Bible for longer and I get more insight, right? It's always this upward and to the right as if um, that's the trajectory of all of our lives. So this is what gets us out of the bed in the morning. How will we grow and mature and progress today? That's not a bad thing, but when that becomes the main motivator of our life, as if that's the way life works. But if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that life is actually more like a squiggle than a straight line where uh, it's full of ups and downs and times we feel like we backslid and times where we were just upside down and we don't know where we are and, and faith can feel like doubt and faith can feel like just uh, obedience even when you don't feel it. And sometimes it's, it's joyful and it's beautiful. And so the functional theology of, of progression um, isn't always the way that we need to be living. But when we live that way, we always try to get up and get moving and get going gets us on this treadmill that leads to burnout and exhaustion. In the 1950s, uh, there was this belief that we would move from a 40-hour work week to a 30-hour work week, and we'd only work six months out of the year. I mean, that sounds incredible. Um, as long as we get paid the same amount of money, right? That sounds great. But then you have to ask, well, what about this prediction of the 50s didn't come to realize now that we are here in, in the 2000s and then 20 years past that, right? What happened? I think what happened is that we traded. That the value system used to be time, is that we would have more time with our families. I mean, there were arguments and discussions, national discussions about what would we do with all of this time that we had. And the reality is, is, is that never came to reality because when you have more time, you can make more money. You can work 
longer. See, when we had computers and supercomputers that were supposed to give more time, we used that to make more money. And then we had a GDP that, that was on the rise. And so we had to do more in order to keep that up. And we found ourselves again, creating this beast that, that demands our loyalty and exhaustion. And again, we find ourselves burnt out. We find ourselves in this cycle of burnout over and over again. Again, I don't think I'm speaking to myself. I, I feel like I'm speaking to, to you. I feel like I'm speaking to our culture. Henry Now in his book, Reaching Out, he wrote this about burnout. And I think that this, the way that he writes it, I think is, um, maybe you can identify with it. He says, I was living in a very dark place. And the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. So I think as we're running on this pace and we're going at this frenetic speed and it's nonstop and we're really on a treadmill, not going very many places, spiritual death is where this all leads. Many of us aren't just exhausted. We're not just busy. We are headed towards spiritual death. And it's to this exhaustion, right? To this burnout, to this spiritual death that the writer of the Hebrews says, and yet there remains a rest. He says in in the midst of all the cultural, what's going on, the working, the exhaustion, there remains in front of us still to come a rest, a spiritual rest. So let these words, I'm going to say it again and just let them be a bomb maybe to your wounded heart um, or just like, like water to your parched souls. He says this, Hebrews 4.9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Are you exhausted? The writer of the Hebrews says, in front of you, there remains an opportunity, a Sabbath rest for your soul. Now, Sabbath rest is a different kind of rest, right? It's not like laying on the beach in Maui like I got to do a couple of months ago, right? Which was great, but it's different. This isn't the kind of rest that you get from binge watching, you know, Outer Banks season two <laughs> the whole time. Um, this isn't the kind of rest you get from yoga, right? Those are all great types of rest in place, but this is a kind of rest that's a Sabbath rest. Now, in the context of the library of scripture up to Hebrews 4, there's been a lot said about Sabbath and rest, right? On Genesis, uh, in Genesis, um, on the seventh day, God created all these things, and then on the seventh day, he, he rested. Now, scholars quickly point out, and I think correctly, they point out that then human beings who were created on the sixth day, their first day of life would have been Sabbath which means that we were starting our lives. Uh, the, the, the launching pad of our lives was rest. The Hebrews then took this even further and, and in the ancient kind of way of doing things, they started their day with sundown, which it's, it's fitting that we're here as the sun is setting and it's beautiful, right? It's this place where you do feel rest. I mean, what would it look like if we changed our mentality and our mindset to start our weeks off with rest? not crashing into the weekend where the reality is we've been running so fast. By the time we hit Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we need that time just to be able to get back up again and work. It's not life. But what if we, what if we were to think about our life, our week, our days start from rest? As the sun goes down, we start with community around the table and a meal and fellowship and friendship and laughter. And then we start with, with a good night's sleep. And when we wake up, we're halfway through our day because we're starting from this place of rest. I think we would live differently. And again, work isn't bad. Work is actually beautiful. And we're going to talk about that later in the series about vocation as a way of worshiping God. But we're created to work from rest, not for 
rest. And that is a whole different way of living. So when Jesus enters into the scene and then when he's in Matthew 11 and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, Jesus just comes in and he hits this culture, this busy culture with those words. And when he says that, the word rest is loaded, right? He's talking about Sabbath. He's talking about the God who rested on the seventh day. He's talking about the Hebrews who started their days off with rest. It's a loaded term. And he says, take my yoke, my burden, my life, my teaching on you. You'll find rest for your souls. Now we're either yoked, we're either living our lives according to the pace of culture, or there's another way where we're living our life to the pace of Jesus. We're either yoking ourselves or learning our ways of humility and ease, right? Jesus's way or learning it from, from the way of culture, which is of labor and burden and just getting to the next thing. And the grass is always greener and you got to work harder. And that mentality, it leads to exhaustion, right? We're either seeking first God's kingdom or we're seeking first the kingdom of self. Now, I think when Jesus says this rest, right, this is a direct hyperlink to, to Exodus 33, where God says, my presence will go with you and you will have rest. Or to Psalm 23, right? One of my favorite Psalms where, where there's the, the good shepherd and he will lead you by still waters, right? He'll give you rest for your souls. And, and Jesus is now connecting with the good shepherd or the presence of God. And he says, I will give you rest. It's also, it's so interesting that Jesus always healed on the Sabbath. I mean, he got in a lot of trouble for it. The Pharisees hated him for it because they thought that Sabbath was meant to be this legalistic thing that if you followed, then God would be pleased with you. And they turned this beautiful, free thing and they turned it into um, burden and bondage. And where Jesus then is intentionally healing on the Sabbath because he's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. Sabbath isn't meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a blessing. Sabbath isn't meant for you to be legalistic about it. It's about for you to step into freedom, right? It's to refresh your soul, to heal your body, to enter into relationship. It's about freedom. There remains a rest for the people of God. Now, if you think about the Ten Commandments, um, all ten of them, there's like, don't murder, right? Don't commit adultery, don't steal, rest. And then it just keeps going and all of them say, you shall do this, you shall do this, you shall not do this. But when it gets to the fourth commandment of keep the Sabbath, it says, remember to keep the Sabbath. It's so interesting that um, I don't think I need to be reminded not to murder someone. Like, I think I got that one down. But when it comes to rest, I think we all need that reminder. It's as if God knew that we would need that reminder. But it's funny. He says, he says remember to rest. That one command is the only one, not only in culture at large, but in Christianity that we brag about breaking, where people are like, hey, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm good, busy. You know, and we brag around about breaking that command, but we don't brag about murdering someone. There's, there's just this uniqueness that when it comes to rest, we just so easily forget. And we live in a culture that honors busyness, that honors exhaustion, right? You feel like you have worth and value if you're exhausted and burdened. 
And so to this, God says, take rest. To this, Jesus says, take my lifestyle upon you and you will find rest for your souls. So my question for you is then, are you burdened? Are you weary? Are you burnt out? Do you find yourself at this frenetic pace? Are you finding yourself not able to rest? And I think that the writer of the Hebrews says, ahead of you is there, there's a rest. There's a rest that you can actually calendar. There's a rest you can look forward to. There's a rest that if you build your life around, you can live into, and it's about freedom. So I want to remind you of that. You cannot manage time. You can only manage yourself in time. And in a world of exhaustion and nonstop pursuits of achievement, uh, men and women, I think, who are willing to set down their tools and to actually step into rest, not merely for for self-care, but so that we can return our hearts to God and live into what He has for us, to be that kind of community would make the watching world be curious. And they look at us and say, well, I don't, I don't get it. What, why are you so rested? Why, why are you living with such freedom? Why are you not burnt out with us? It's because we, we are making our pace God's pace. There's this famous book, it's called Three Mile an Hour God. And I'm um, not gonna get into all of it, but the premise of it is that God is at a three mile an hour pace. And not because um, that's actually how fast he walks, but that's how fast we walk. And so the idea is when we're running so fast, of course you can't hear God. Of course you can't find spiritual nourishment because we're outrunning God, but maybe the invitation is to slow down, get down to the pace of God so that you can hear Him, you can be present with Him, so we can step away from spiritual death, but step into spiritual nourishment. We're called to be a community of rest and a culture of exhaustion. And I wonder if maybe the church lacks credibility um, in today's culture, not necessarily because of of massive uh, cultural failures or big scandals, though those are are devastating. I wonder if the church lacks credibility in the culture today because of something smaller, something more common, something more deadly. Maybe it's our exhaustion. I think maybe maybe we're just too tired to model the agape, Jesus-shaped, love, self-sacrificial love that Jesus modeled to us. Maybe we're just too scheduled to actually slow down and show compassion. Maybe we are too distracted to pray. Maybe we're too much like the exhausted culture around us and we're not showing the world the goodness of a God who created us and then gave us rest as the first day. I love this. John Tyson says, as we drown ourselves in 24-7 living, We seem able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. The result is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. So is there a practice of Jesus that can help us step away from being the most psychologically overworked, emotionally exhausted, or spiritually malnourished people in history? And yeah, it's Sabbath. It's Sabbath, and you can be like, I don't really get it. And, and so I wanted to talk about four movements of Sabbath, you know, four rhythms of Sabbath. Because here at Light, what we want to do is we want to order our lives around Jesus' life. And, and as we all step into this as a community, we want to experience the life that Jesus says is life to the full, abundant life. And so here's the four things. One is we need to resist work. On our Sabbath, we need to resist, resist work. Number two, we need to rest and restore Number three, we need to revel in God's goodness. And number four, we need to remember our true 
identities. Now, real quick, um, I take my Sabbath, again, as sunsets, and I do that on Saturday, Friday night through Saturday. And I know that um, that could be any day for you. For you, it might be Sunday. For me, it's a work day. I know for the Hornings, I think they take that on Friday. And so um, choose a day. And choose a day where, where that's going to be the day that you are going to set these things in place. And you're going to step into Sabbath. Try on Jesus' life and, and experience the rest that he has for your soul. So number one, we need to resist work. Now, this is where the challenge comes in. Because for me, as I set my um, computer aside, I turn my email off, um, inevitably my mind will go into something else. Right? I'll be like, oh man, if only I forgot to do that. Or, or I do not turn off my email and then I get an email and it's like, oh shoot, I got to answer that. And, and so resisting work is so key. Um, psychologists have, have even noted that even thinking about work while you're resting can induce the same kind of anxiety that you would have if you were working. So even thinking about work can be work. So resisting that urge to work, having boundaries in place. And I think when we do this, we'll find that we are not what we do. We'll find that, that we, we are not defined by our accomplishments, right? We remember that God is actually the provider. We don't have all that control of our lives, but God does. We refuse to believe that the world's sustained by our power, right? It's sustained by God, but sometimes we can fall into this idea of, well, if I stop the world will stop, but over Sabbath, you're reminded it doesn't. God continues to work. We resist the desire to control the outcomes of our lives, right? We stop, we let go, we surrender. Um, one of the things that we can also do is set, set aside our technology, put our phones away, maybe put that on a digital Sabbath. And, um, and I do that, I try to get off of social media, not necessarily because it's bad, but because it, it draws me away from my imagination, right? It draws me away from from being present to God. I mean, one of the things that I do is, um, is I choose, and this is just a whole nother thing, but I choose to not look up pictures of baby pigeons. And you're like, what? That's weird, Stevie. And I know it's weird, but I want to not see a baby pigeon in an image. I want to actually see one in public because think about it. Like, they're all over the place. Pigeons are everywhere, but where are their babies? And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I promise. Um, but like, I just want, I want to be in awe when I finally see one. I want to see it with my eyes and not through technology, right? Like when we do that, we steal the awe and beauty and wonder of who God is because we just go straight to Google. And so that's just a weird exercise that I do, but it could be something like that for you. So the next thing, number two, is, is resting and restoration. Research shows that failing to rest after six days of study or steady work will lead to insomnia, sleeplessness, hormonal imbalances, fatigue, irritability, organ stress, and other increasingly serious physical or mental symptoms. And so I, it's just like this crazy thing that if we don't rest, it has implications, not just on our spirit, on our minds and our bodies as well. So with this, I think that sometimes we can conflate relaxation with rest. And I think those two things can be different, right? Because relaxation isn't necessarily able to do the deep work, the deep soul massage that we need, but, but rest, Sabbath rest, is when we step in and we restore. We, we focus on God. What we'll see is we'll revel in God's goodness and we let God refresh our souls. We enjoy really good things, really good food, right? On a Sabbath is a day when you should eat good food. Um, you should surf really good waves. You should order that dessert. You should laugh until it hurts because this is the God who we have. Exodus 31, 17, it says at the end of, uh, or at the end of the sentence, it says on the seventh day, 
He rested and was refreshed. God was rested and refreshed when he Sabbath, when he took that rest. Later, it talks about how, how God um, sets, a, sets out a meal with us with, with fine wine. And, and it's just this beautiful image of God feasting and us feasting in his presence. Like This is the God that we serve. We need to recover from the frenetic pace of our lives. We need spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, and social rest. So maybe you need to be honest with God about that thing that's just been stressing you out. And on a Sabbath is a time to let your guard down and get emotional rest with God. Maybe it's a time for you to, to be with people you don't always have to be on with, that you always feel like you need to serve, but you can actually just be with and get that social rest. Maybe you sleep longer and you sleep in, you take a nap and you get actual physical rest. Number three is reveling in God's goodness. And this is where we, again, delight in God, delight in the beauty all around us. You watch a sunset and you see, man, God is so good. Or when you're at a meal with your friends and you are laughing and you are eating that meal, you are surfing those waves, you're reminded that God is good. Every good gift comes from him. And so in Sabbath, as you revel in God's goodness, you enjoy, um, John Tyson calls it pleasure stacking, right? You enjoy all of these things. Um, you're reminded God is good. This fast pace that we're on um, that gives us the promise of joy, gives us the promise of life, but really leaves us empty handed and exhausted, and exhausted will not actually give us the same kind of joy that Sabbath and God's goodness will give us. And finally, we remember our true identities. I think so often when we ask questions and we meet someone new, we say, hey, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Stevie. And my next question is, well, what do you do? And we, we conflate what we do. Um, it's not bad, but we, we make it our identity. And we say, well, this is who I am. And so our identities get so conflated with what we do and our productivity and, and how successful were we. And if you failed, I mean, that just crushes us. And we find ourselves in this place where our identities get so wrapped up into what we do. How busy are you? How much are you producing? And on Sabbath, we're reminded that does not define me. That does not define you. See, we always are wondering what's next? What will I do next? What are the strategies and steps to get there? But hardly ever do we ask ourselves, who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? And I think of the Apostle John. And the Apostle John, when Jesus first met him, he called him a son of thunder because he had an anger issue. And uh, John, at one point, literally asked Jesus to call fire from heaven to burn up a village because they, they rejected Jesus. And Jesus was like, chill, John, we're fine. They're, we're okay. This is who he was. He, he was passionate. He, he was angry, but he was zealous. But then right around John 13, we see something different. Now, right at this, this really powerful meal, uh, which is the Last Supper, you, you see there's an argument that breaks out among, amongst all the followers, and they're talking about who will be greatest in the kingdom. Judas leaves the meal, and he's about to go betray Jesus. And then Peter, you know, boasts about how he's never going to deny Jesus, which we know how that goes. But in John 13, you see, you see John, and he's at the place of honor, leaning up against Jesus' chest, listening to his heart. And I think that's at the moment you start to see his identity shift from a son of thunder to a person of love. He, he then calls himself in his own gospel. It seems prideful, but I think it's beautiful where he says, the one who Jesus loves. That's his identity for himself. He knows himself as the beloved, 
not as someone with anger issues, not as someone who's highly productive, not as someone who, who, who really was a staple in the church, right? He knows himself more importantly as one who Jesus loves. His identity shifted. So I want to end with this because I think that many of us can identify as someone who finds our identity in, in one thing or another. But in order for our identity to shift, we need to get close to Jesus' heart. We need to get close to him and his presence. And that happens on Sabbath. And so John Tyson writes this. He says, secular slavery becomes spiritual sonship when we rest on Jesus' chest. On the Sabbath, we embrace our God-given identity as children dearly loved by God. We don't have to achieve success, make a difference for God or change the world. We simply enjoy being with him. We nurture our truest sense of identity and let the rest fall away. This weekly time with Jesus tempers our ungodly ambition and enables us to embrace who we really are. AJ Swoboda so beautifully says, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel screen the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That is slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. And so Light Church, the invitation is for us to step into that rest together as a community. Would you guys mind praying with me? So God, I pray for all of us right now, anyone watching this, that as we are in this fast-paced culture and a culture of exhaustion, would you draw us into your rest? Rest is in your presence. Rest is being led by you, the good shepherd. Rest is found, as you say, when we come to you. And so I pray, Jesus, that we would come to you. And for anybody who's just feeling maybe a deeper sense of anxiety, um, their mind is just buzzing, maybe they feel it in their body, I pray, God, that you meet them even now and that you would, you would grant them rest. You would call them deeper into your Sabbath rest, which is different and relaxation or anything else, God. So, and I pray that as we step into rest, that you would meet us, that you would uh, show us the goodness of who you are, that we would actually enjoy your presence and your goodness, and that rest would be just a marker of who we are as your people, as a light church. So God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Grace and peace, guys. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.